Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get started. What is up, Coach Nero Chat Amigos? Time for a special bonus pod on this Saturday morning, at least where I am. I am joined today by the chief editor of Managing Madrid, our sister site on the SB Nation Network, Kian Sobani. Que pasa, Theo? How are you? I'm great, man. I mean, I, how could I say anything less than I'm great? given the situation Real Madrid are in. So I'm good, you know. So anything else that's happening right now, it's it's marginal. It's just a trivial thing that happens. <laughs> right now we're in the Champions League final and we're playing a derby for us. Means very little, to be honest, with all due respect. But for you guys, it actually means a lot, I think, just in terms of the mathematical uh, placement for the Champions League spots and just making sure you don't dip below the zone where Betis might leap you. I, I don't think you will anyway, but... It's just a weird, weird place to be because we're not used to this. To be honest, as even though we're Real Madrid, we're used to if we're winning league titles, it's usually on the last match day. It's usually much more anxiety-ridden, and uh, we're just comfortable this year. And that had a lot to do with you guys not being at the same level that you usually are, right? That hurts, but you're right. <laughs> you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah, I've sorry, actually. Man. I, I came on your podcast, and I'm now being disrespectful. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're just shooting missiles already. <laughs> No, but you're right, uh, and we've criticized Atletico quite heavily on, on our side on, on our podcast, and we'll have plenty of time to get to that when I hop on your show uh, following this segment. But man, I've been writing about this this morning. This is going to be a super strange game because, as you've said, Madrid have 
literally nothing to play for other than pride and Ancelotti rotating, getting some of the, the lesser used guys some game time, some cardio. And for Atletico, this game could have significant importance given where we are in the top four and, and given that uh, Betis and Real Sociedad continue to chase us, Villarreal could get back into the race as well. But and speaking of Madrid, Kian, um, let's start with, with this, with the, the Champions League escapade, yet another Champions League escapade in midweek. Could you possibly recount your mental state from about, let's say, minute 89 until the end of the semifinal second leg? How would you describe your, your mental state over that roughly half an hour of game time? Uh, so you're saying from Rodrigo's first goal until the end? You just, mean? Just, so before, after, just before Rodrigo's first goal. Just before Rodrigo's first goal. Um, in that moment before Rodrigo scored, uh, as much as I would have liked to have believed, you know, because we have done it so many times in the past that we'd find a way, even I was like, it's over. And I felt okay about it. I, I, was, I was not that sad about it. Obviously, it was a little bit heartbreaking, but... Uh, in those moments, you know, there's a deep, deep down, like in my consciousness, there's a reflection on like, hey, this was a good season and Manchester City are a great team and, and we got this far and I don't think anyone expected us to get this far and I'm okay with it and we have a bright future. I like, I like what I've seen this season from our younger players. I think we have something to build on. I was okay with it and I, went out, and I was of acceptance of the fact that this is okay. As sad as I was. And then when Rodrigo scored the first goal, I kind of, there was part of me that I was like, fuck. <laughs> I kind of wish this didn't happen because I don't want, now all of a sudden I went from being okay with losing to all of a sudden getting hope before losing. Yep. And I was like, I kind of wish that they would have just cut our throats and ended us right there. But, but we had to do this thing where we claw our way back and give ourselves hope. And I thought of, I never mentioned this to anyone, but I actually thought of um, Sergio Ramos's goal against Borussia Dortmund in 2013, where he scores yeah. at the end to make it, I think, 3-2. And I was like, oh, man, it's the hope that gets you, right? Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> before I could even think about it, Rodrigo scored he scored again. goal. He's, he's and gone and done it again. Just, yeah, he scored again. Yeah, and that and then at that from that point on, it was just deliriousness and just recovering from losing my vocal cords now. So, yeah. <laughs> um, how would you rank this season, Kiana, in terms of quote unquote fun? Like, I, I think you could argue that Madrid were underdogs in the Champions League throughout this campaign, and even somewhat underdogs in La Liga, with a lot of analysts before the season hyping up Atletico possibly as as repeat champions. Um, has it been? Has it been fun? It, it, I'm sure it's been a bit of a rare feeling. Has it made the season a bit more interesting and winning the league and, and potentially winning the Champions League again, has it made it that much more rewarding? I don't know where to rank it, but in terms of fun factor, um, you know, for example, like the Capello League winning season, even though that wasn't our best team, you know, in the last 25 years, it was a really fun season because it was a lot of comebacks at the end. This is kind of similar to that. I mean, La Decima obviously stands out too. 16-17 was fun, but for different reasons because we were just so good and yeah. so dominant. Uh, but also, it wasn't there wasn't as many comebacks, saved as there was you know, in La Decima year, for example. And the Capello year was kind of similar. This year, we've been discussing this a lot. It's this is one of the most likable teams 
we've had in terms of character uh, and just how easy it is for us to get behind these players. There's no one really causing problems. Like there is that, you know, there's the bail thing happening kind of just beneath the surface. He, he comes up like once, uh, once every two months and people remember him and they're like, <laughs> wow, this is annoying. But it's not like the main storyline. So it's kind of being swept under the rug quickly because the team is playing in a way that's getting all these results and it's really easy to root behind. I mean, it's impossible for us not to root for Rodrigo and Vinicius and, you know, Benzema and the, the scenes of Marcelo from the sidelines basically coaching the team and, and rallying the team. And there's just so many likable character guys in this particular Real Madrid team that I think it's just, I don't know where to rank it exactly, but it's definitely up there in the past 25 years for me in terms of like how how easy it is to get behind these guys. It's always been easy for me personally, I'm sure most fans, but Jeremy, you've seen it in the past. You've seen the burnabout turn on the team millions of times. Mm-hmm. And when Mara scored against us, they did the opposite. And that's not really like the burnabout, but to, to the burnabout's credit, if they really feel like they're getting the effort from the players on the pitch and they like those players, they'll get behind them. And, and they got behind us after we went down that Mara's goal. And that doesn't happen on every season, right? So I, I think that was a kind of a, an interesting way to see it unfold it's like you know the fans have gotten behind this team because it's a likable team it's sort of become a meme on social media like images of real madrid fans leaving the bernabeu early when the team is losing or it it becomes uh not clear but it looks like the team is going to go behind i think chiringuito or one of the other shows like tweeted out a a, a clip of madrid fans trying to get back into the bernabeu after rodrigo scored the second goal and it's become a meme but i i think that that's a really good point is that this madrid team just keeps making believers out of everyone which is really weird to say about real madrid given the economic advantages and the talent that they have every single year but this champions league run has been so unlikely like even by madrid standards and i was talking about this with ohm after the the man city game like and i want to know how you would assess the Real Madrid Champions League DNA, that this spirit that they seem to conjure up in a way that nobody else really can. How would you like quantify it, describe it? What goes into it, this ability to launch these increasingly ridiculous comebacks? You can't actually quantify it, I don't think. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I know Ohm actually wrote an article about it, which I have yet to read, but it's. I think it's a lot of... Uh, decades and decades of this being baked into the team and you somehow just pass on these psychological um, triumphs to the next to the generation after generation to player after player and it just kind of and and the stadium itself feels it right and that's why like Diego and I were having a deep discussion about this and he was like I wish I wish the rest of us knew so we could copy and paste this into (laughs) us like you can't. You can't. There's nothing to replicate. There's nothing to replicate because you can't replicate decades of experience of winning this thing and coming up clutch over and over again for many, many years. It's not something you can just stumble upon. I think it's just something... It, there's something in the, the collective brain there. And let's be honest. We're talking about this with a little bit of recency bias because we're just talking about these epic comebacks, but we've had plenty of years where we just do round of 16 exits, yep. so it's obviously not every year, every all the time. There's just, but certainly since 2014, it's been pretty consistent. And uh, I think it's just a mentality thing. You know, I, I, I came up with this analogy of a pizza oven <laughs> on, with Diego. I was talking about it. 
And I was talking, and there's a, there's a pizza shop in New Haven. I was watching a documentary about this. There's a pizza shop in New Haven that um, they say is the best pizza shop in the world because they, part of the reason is because, you know, uh, they use well, the ingredients, blah, blah, blah. They came over from Naples in the early 1900s. All that stuff aside, they you have used the same pizza oven since like 1915 or something like that. And someone was talking about this, like, no one can take their recipe and make their pizza because they don't have their pizza oven. That pizza oven has literally flavors sitting in it for like a century mm. that is like infusing the pizza, which sounds really gross to be honest. But um, but that's that's what I think Real Madrid is. Real Madrid is that pizza oven. Real Madrid is the team that since the 50s has been doing this over and over again. So. To come, come, just trying to replicate it now for any team is difficult unless you just have those, you know, decades of experience baked into it. And I know it's kind of weird to quantify, but the way we, you and I, were logically explaining it on the fly on the post game podcast was, uh, it's the the connected the connective tissue of this actually spans over decades. Like if you go back, like right now in this current team. All of these guys have played with Sergio Ramos. Sergio Ramos played with Zidane. Benzema played with Raul. Those guys played with Hierro. Hierro played with Sanchez. Sanchez played with Butrogenio. Butrogenio was coached by Di Stefano. Like it just go like you can actually connect it in a weird way. And I, I don't again. This is all kind of woo. So I don't not gonna put again. That's why I say you can quantify it. This is all just me bullshitting and and making up stuff. But um, you can't. You can't. It's hard to really explain it. And the same way we have psychological triumphs a lot of teams have psychological barriers like you saw it with PSG and Manchester City both of those teams have come up so they've come up they've come so far come so close but come up short every time certainly that factors into their mentality too when something when someone starts to punch it's, especially if it's Real at the burn valve they get punched in the face a couple of times they, they start panicking they start losing their they they lose their control and um you know, I'd be curious to know what you think of the Atletico version of this because there were so many years you guys were dominating us in the league, but in the Champions League you couldn't replicate it. Why was that? Um, you know, beats me. But I'm sure you would say that there was probably some psychological barrier against you guys in that in that tournament. I don't know. I mean, we we fall to the same team four years in a row at twice in the final, right? Um, and at and every time in the quarterfinal round or better. Uh, it, it's it's definitely emblematic of a psychological block. And in addition to that, Madrid are just a really good team. Like, Madrid have just an insane amount of talent. Um, and the, the psychological factor, the mentality factor, it, is certainly, it certainly comes into play in the latter stages of the Champions League. Like, Man City are the latest team to learn that if you don't kick Madrid when they're down, right, if you don't really put them away, if you don't kill them, they're going to come back. And Atletico learned yeah. this in, in the last decade. Uh, and Man City were, were the latest, even after how well they played in the first leg. They scored four goals, and they still didn't advance, man. Uh, just never really seen a run like this. Uh, you mentioned how there's just, like, this connective tissue between generations of Madrid players uh, dating back to De Stefano in the 50s. Um, one of the the young players who's probably going to start on Sunday, I would expect he's going to start on Sunday, that seems to be absorbing this madridismo, uh, this 
this spirit of the midfielders who have come before him is Eduardo Camavinga, Keon. And I want to know what your thoughts on his season are, uh, because he hasn't been a, a consistent regular starter. Ancelotti's played him in a couple different roles uh, within the midfield. But for a 19-year-old, not even 20-year-old, to be contributing at this level to a team going to the Champions League final and having clinched La Liga with multiple games to spare, what are your thoughts on when Madrid signed him, how they plucked him out from underneath PSG, and what his trajectory is? Well, you're asking someone who's going to be very biased about this because I admittedly am totally in love with the guy. And (laughs) I think he's just been... He was an amazing signing, and... It it's hard to know. Look, he's 19, right? And I, I think one of the things that's... The way I kind of measure the greatness of players, but also how how players might pan out and span out in the future. Like, we, we never know, right? Some youngsters who are amazing can actually peter out when they're young and lose their kind of charm and why they were, they were projected so high. Sometimes that can wane. And then other players who maybe weren't that good when they were young, all of a sudden they're late 20s, they blossom late and they become stars. And it's hard to say, it's really hard to know. But part of the way I kind of maybe measure it and to give us a better idea is nights like this. And I thought it was super impressive that beyond all of Eduardo Camavinga's technical abilities, he was the youngest player on the field against Manchester City. And when there's that much pressure and the season's on the line, if you can perform like that, that's a really good sign for me for the future. So, I, I, look, I, I, we keep on asking how are we going to replace Modric and Cruz, and I think a lot of us said you can't because they're very unique players. Modric covered a ton of ground. He defended. He attacked. He, he, he made plays. He was aesthetically pleasing to watch. He was a leader. He was a good person. Uh, Cruz is one of the best passers in football history. It's very possible that the next guy you have is not that profile. Kamavinga is not the profile of, the, of either of those two players. So a lot of us said you might have to just change your style of play. Maybe Kamavinga is that guy who you, you kind of have a different kind of style of play. But Fede Valverde is the same, where he's someone who can just contribute both ways on both sides of the field, but in a different way. I mean, he's a really great ball carrier. He's a really composed player in tight spaces, and he's a really good dribbler. He's a good shooter. He's a physical freak. He can throw bodies around. He's an amazing slide tackler. Um, he may not have the 99% passing accuracy as to, like Tony Cruz, but that's okay. Um, so I'm not really sure what your answer, uh, your question was. Was it like how good of a signing he was? He was an amazing signing. I, I think we're going to look back on this really fondly and really thankful that we signed him like, you know, five, ten years from now. Because it wasn't really the signing that I'd say most observers or analysts expected with, with the Mbappe rumors from last summer. But Madrid did have money to spend, and plucking him from underneath PSG's nose is, is really something. How did they let him get out of France? Like, this is a kid who, not even 20 years old, is already carving out a, a nice future decade-long role for himself in the middle of Madrid's midfield. And you mentioned Fede Valverde, too, who's going to be, who yeah. already is a really good midfielder, is going to get even better um, with that um, with that industriousness, yeah. that Uruguayan industriousness and the hard-nosed way he plays. Um, so you guys are still going to get Mbappe this summer, right? There's there's really no <laughs> in, indication that he's he's not coming. Well, it's just weird. Like, you hear these leaked things about Mbappe has signed a two-year contract, and then right away his mom came out and said, like, issued a statement on Twitter, that's incorrect. 
I think it's just a matter of time. Uh, that's where I stand on it. I, I'm kind of exhausted on the subject, Jeremy. I don't know what else to say about it. You know, Lucas has, Lucas obviously a managing manager has his own sources and he says the club is super calm about it. They don't think it's a, they don't think it's, they're not worried at all about PSG's offer and stance because it's not going to be down to money ultimately for him. It's not like, and, and people think like, that's the other thing. People, a lot of people will, will say, well, Real Madrid can't trump PSG's financial offer, and that's undoubtedly true. That's a, 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 a factual statement. However, like I often think, sometimes people treat it as if like Mbappe is coming here to live on the street. You know, <laughs> it's not like he's going to be. He's going to be paid. He's not going to be a pauper, regardless. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah. Maybe he's not going to be Elon Musk, but he's probably you know. <laughs> Uh, he's going to be filthy rich and he's also going to at some point it has to matter that he also has to enjoy where he is I'm not saying that he doesn't necessarily enjoy where he is now but you know if this was his dream from the beginning then that's his dream from the beginning you know how much more money do you need how much money is like what are you going to do with an extra what whatever millions of dollars like you you're going to buy another yacht you're going to buy three yachts you're going to yeah. buy a bigger house you're going to have four bathrooms in your bedrooms out of three i don't know what else. i don't know that's me i'm just i'm just speaking uh from my perspective but like at some point it, it matters more like where you want to be and i think that's that's why the club are calm about it yeah the financial figures that are being discussed in relation to mbappe and in, and in relation to a lot of elite level top level players now it's just they don't strike me as real figures it's like monopoly money um, and PSG, yeah. and I, and I think... I don't understand it either. And I think you're probably right that this has probably been a, a desire of Mbappe's for years. It's been reported as such for years. He's probably coming, and La Liga needs to prepare itself. Uh, last thing I want to discuss with you, Keon, I want to get your take on this. One of the weirder things, if not the weirdest thing, about this installment of the Madrid Derby is the discussion, the debate around the Paseo, the guard of honor, Atletico refusing to give Madrid a guard of honor before kickoff on Sunday night. What are your thoughts on this, if you have any? For me, I was tired of the topic on Monday night, but um, are are you offended as a Madridista? Is it a slap in the face? Is, is it a slight? Do you understand Atletico's perspective? What are your thoughts? I, I don't care. I don't, like, you know, it would be cool to get one, I guess, but I, I would understand if we didn't give it, and I just... It's a cool tradition, I guess, because it's a sign of respect historically, right? You know, but at the same time, we don't have to follow these traditions. There's no; these are like all just artificial rules that we we abide by. I I would, I couldn't care less if the rule was abolished altogether. I, even though it's not even a rule, it's just a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I personally, I don't care. I don't know if Madridistas in general do. I think some of them, because it's Atletico, they'll find their reasons to be offended by it. You know. Uh, I, 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 I don't really care. No, me personally, I, I think it's a silly thing and I don't really care, you know? Yeah. I, I, I as I said, I was over it, like even before the, the intense media discourse around it started. It's just, it's, it's a tradition. It's supposed to be a sign of respect. And I think there's a media culture around it now that has tried to turn it into a gesture of humiliation, of embarrassment. And that's really as much thought as I have given it. I haven't really cared to think about it beyond that. I'm much more concerned with are we going to finish top four or not because that is uh, seismic if if we do not. Uh, Would you care to uh, hazard a prediction for this one, Keon, this really strange Madrid derby we're going to be watching tomorrow night? So... The strangeness in in part will come with the fact that Ancelotti is going to rotate, you know. 
I, I don't think it's going to be a complete B team, but he did say today in the press conference that Lunin will play. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, he'll decide tomorrow what the rest of them are. And uh, given just judging by the game against Espanyol, where we only needed a draw to win the league, he fielded basically an entire B team apart from a couple players. So, but, but I think there's something interesting about this Real Madrid team if they play their B team, that we're all excited to see how these young players do in certain situations. And we were certainly impressed by their performances against Espanyol. Uh, unfortunately, I think Danny Ceballos, uh, his, I'm, I'm not sure if he's able to play tomorrow, but he was someone that he's, we, we've been excited about from the quote-unquote B team. It would have been cool to see him, what he does tomorrow. But um, I'm going to, anyways, a long-winded way of saying that even though it's, I think they're uh, a combination of their B team and A team, I think... The B team players are good and they have a lot to prove. So I think it's going to be uh, a narrow win for us. I'll say 3-2. Given our defensive record this season, it wouldn't surprise me if we see a few goals in that game tomorrow. Because it's going to be, the intensity and the vibe will be pretty strange. Uh, I think the nerves from the Atletico point of view, the nerves are going to be there. The anxiety is going to be there. The fear yeah. might even be there because this is a position we haven't really found ourselves in in ten years. So, oof, yeah. it, it's that's what I would. That's part of my. Uh, that's kind of fueled my prediction too a little bit because I think the other side of it is we're playing with zero pressure. Yeah, like pressure on lose, us. No one cares. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All the pressure so. is is on Simeone and Atletico to put in a performance. We haven't beaten you guys in the league in over six years. It's been a while for us. Is that true? Yeah. Griezmann's, oh my God. Griezmann's goal at the Bernabeu in 2016. That's the last time we beat you in La Liga. No. That's surreal. Yeah. It's been a long time. But man. I do remember a lot of draws, right? I'm totally unprepared for this, but we drew, we've drew. we drawn a lot. It hasn't just been Real Madrid wins, Yeah, right? bunch of draws. Uh, I think we have six yeah. draws, five losses in the last 11 derbies in the league. Wow. That's such a... I don't know why I'm surprised by it, but I guess thinking back, I mean... I just remember a lot of boring derbies in the league. That's my because uh, it just tends to happen with with these Real Madrid Atletico games. They're, they they're not as good as they they're hyped to be. Mm-hmm. But you know you've had such a stranglehold us on us for a while there in the league that the, you had a huge unbeaten record for us, and now it seems to have been shifted a little bit. So, hmm. well, let's see if, if we can't if we can't break that duck tomorrow. That would be nice if we could. Keon, my man, thank you so much for hopping on the show today. Wonderful to talk to you as always. Likewise, man. Thank you.